Hello and welcome to Football Masterminds, the show where we attempt to say intelligent things about football. This week in the Premier League was quite interesting one. Southampton beating Aston Villa 1-0 at home, with Dean Smith getting sacked, City dominating United, Brentford losing to Norwich, and then Daniel Farke got sacked. Arsenal winning at Watford, and obviously we have to comment on West Ham beating Liverpool and ending their 25 games unbeaten streak. And I have with me two amazing people, my co-host, my ride or die, my, I'm running out of metaphors slash things to say here, but here's that one. Brother from another mother. (laughs) Brother from another mother. (laughs) Yeah, hey guys, uh, pretty crazy weekend. Premier League's version of the El Clasico weekend this weekend too, with the Manchester Derby. I'm excited to get down to it. And we have a guest with us today in the name of Declan DeBarb. He hosts our Long Ball Preview Show. I know it's been getting a lot of love, especially with Declan and John's banter, let's say, and their pick of the weeks and all of that fun stuff that they do on that show. Hey, Declan, how's it going? Uh, thanks, Costi. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm feeling pretty good. I think you picked the right guest for, for this one, though. I don't know if uh, it'll be too good for, for you, given um, the results <laughs> of my mighty hammers the other day. But uh, we're flying high. We're nearly reaching the sky. But uh, it's good to be on. We always try and bring on someone that can either challenge us because they support a different team or they have good views. And you sort of had both. And obviously... I took it to John the other weekend when he lost 5-0 to Liverpool. So when we lose 3-2 to West Ham, I I'm not a, I'm not I'm not partial towards Liverpool. I mean, on the show at least. Actually, that's a lie. <laughs> thanks, <but>. thanks. Nah, <laughs> but, I'm sure there's a lot to get into. It was it was anything but uh, a straightforward game. A lot of controversy. Anything but a straightforward game. We'll start off with that game because we're short on time today. Uh, we're all working. It's an 8:30 a.m. EST recording, so we'll get right into it. West Ham beat Liverpool 3-2 at home. They have 30% possession of the ball. And they scored three goals against a team that is in the title race. I am just confused and lost for words on how badly Liverpool defended that game. It was a howler by Allison, And I think our midfield struggled against West Ham's midfield trio. Declan, we'll start off with you. What did you think of the game? I think you really have to start off with um, with the injury to Angelo Ogbonna, where he, on the first play, he gets twist and turned by Mohamed Salah, who I thought had a quiet game, um, given his given his lofty standards. But he goes down injured, and I right away was was worried as a as a West Ham fan. If you look at the record when Ogbonna is in the back of the back of defense, and when he's not, it's night and day. But I think that that's a big credit to Kurt Zuma, who stepped up and had a fantastic game for West Ham. I think a lot of the stuff you say about um, Liverpool is is correct. Their their midfield looked looked out of it in this game, especially Fabinho, who was taken off um, in the dying embers of the game. But I think what you really have to credit is how hard West Ham worked, and they're a proper team. They're a proper proper team. And you say West Ham isn't a team that's necessarily in the title fight, but uh, they're three points off the lead right now. Um, I'm doubtful that they'll go and do it, but crazier things have have happened and manifested by the the ghost of Mark Noble in his last season. Um, you know, us West Ham fans were were absolutely buzzing, and that's one of the best performances I've ever seen that team put in in um, my years of supporting this team. It's arguably the best the best outfit I've seen, and I thought that 
last year I was living on cloud nine um, on our long ball preview shows when we were doing West Ham. I predicted that they'd finish something like 15th coming back down to earth. But uh, I'm I'm absolutely buzzing after that result. Uh, one of my professors at uh, school is actually a West Ham fan. And uh, <laughs> I, I just sent her an email and it was all capitals. I am in a state of euphoria. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a huge result for this team. And in the past few weeks, we've played City and we played Liverpool and we've beaten them both. So I think that more respect has to come to to these little hammers. I don't think West Ham and David Moyes get the sort of respect that they have earned. I thought that they would struggle this season because they're in Europe and their sides obviously not as deep as some other sides in Europe as well. But they've proven anything but shaky. And they have just gone and beaten City and Liverpool, both title favorites or title contenders, however you want to put it. Dabur, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, so I think I mentioned like uh, in one of the first few weeks that I thought West Ham had the potential of being like a 2016 Leicester type team where they're like a complete dark horse. Nobody expects anything of them, but they have a really good team and they could really do some damage in this game especially i thought like they they went into that game knowing exactly what they needed to do and like michael and antonio in the post-match interview even said this he's like yeah we we knew that we had to take advantage of our corners and that we had to get it away from virgil right like as as long as the ball's away from virgil we're good and that's exactly what they did two of their goals were off of corners right and both of them were really, really close to the keeper. They had a plan and they just executed it perfectly. And and that's kind of scary, honestly, looking forward into the season because like that's that's a kind of a dangerous combination when you have a team that's that's really good, that's really exciting to watch, and they have no pressure on them. There's no expectation. And that's that's sort of the biggest thing that I am scared of is maybe West Ham don't win the league, but performances like this can mess up things for other teams that are looking forward to maybe and hopefully lifting that trophy. Let's move on to something specific that happened in the game. Uh, I guess all the specifics that happened in the game and to the first goal. Allison went for the ball and completely misjudged it and missed it. And it was an own goal. Now, there's been a lot of consideration on whether it was a foul or not. VAR was sort of involved, not to the extent that I would have liked. I would have enjoyed that goal being overturned, not because I'm a Liverpool fan or not just because I'm a Liverpool fan, but mostly because keeper protection in that area is necessary. I watched Jurgen Klopp's afterthoughts on the game, and he mentioned one thing that really stuck out, which was if a keeper is going to save and their primary idea of saving a goal is with their hands, if their hands are blocked, how would they save it? And just as as I'm talking about this, we have a special guest that we could introduce because honestly, there was a miscommunication and he just joined us, but that's John Townsend. And we'll come to him in a minute. But Daver, Declan, John, did you guys think that it was a foul on Allison for the first goal? Now, I'm obviously biased here, but uh, in no world is that a foul. In no world is that a foul. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that's a foul. Like, I I think uh, one of the commentators mentioned it in the game as well, where he's like, we have a little bit too much of keeper protection. I mean, yeah, like Allison is coming out. I had to punch the ball away. But uh, I don't know who it was who was like attacking the ball. But all they were doing was like trying to head it, right? And like they weren't trying to block Allison. They were just trying to go for the ball. Like it's a real stretch to say that 
oh, it should have been a foul. And it's not like Antonio, who was the one who was specifically challenging Allison in that scenario, did anything with his hands or threw, threw an arm out. It was just the natural possession of his body. And if you're a goalkeeper there, you have to show some strength. Yeah. You have to show some strength. And Allison, who has the ability to use his hands, decided that he wanted to try and buy a foul, which was the story of Liverpool's game. Um, I'm sure we can get on to the Salah one and the late and the late uh, foul against Yota, which um, both were not fouls, both were dives. That might sound biased, but if you watch the replay, especially on the Salah one, the one that went in, no one made any contact with him. And the ball ended up in the back of the net. And if you're a goalkeeper, you have to show some strength. There's something to be said about goalkeeper protection, but it's not like Antonio was doing anything dangerous. And you have to draw a line somewhere. We, it's I, not like it's hockey where, where, um, where any little contact with the goalie is goaltender interference. They're they're a member of the eleven out on the pitch, and explicitly stated in the laws that you can make some contact with the goalie. You just can't get excessive amounts. John, what did you think? Was it a foul? Um, well, to be honest, I actually didn't even I didn't see this match, but um, I think on replay from when I saw when I saw the highlights, it's it's difficult to say. I don't think it was, but it's whenever, whenever you're dealing with uh, with a goalkeeper challenge like that, it's it's always kind of a battle of the inches. That's pretty fair. What what you said, Declan, that we should allow some sort of contact with keepers. It shouldn't be like hockey where. If you touch the keeper even a little bit, it's definitely a foul. But in this specific instance, why I think that it was a foul was because Antonio's arm is on Allison's left arm, which prevents him from getting a decent contact on the ball. And that's why I thought it was a foul, because he needs to be able to punch that ball away. But even still, I, I don't doubt that Allison should have been stronger. I think it's one of those fouls where if it's given against you, you sort of moan about it. And um, I think it was one was, of those fouls that um, if it's called by VAR, it's not overturned. But if it, uh, sorry, if it's called by the ref, it's not overturned. But if it's, but if it isn't, which in in this case it wasn't, it wasn't overturned. It was it was borderline. But I still I I still hold true to that. I I think that that was a goal that should have counted. West Ham's ability on set pieces, because even Antonio in his post match con- uh, press conference was mentioning that, hey. We had a simple game plan. Our coaches said, put it on Allison and crowd that area and something will happen. And it happened twice. Before we go on to talking about West Ham and their abilities on set pieces and what Liverpool could have done better to defend them, I just want to give a shout out to West Ham and their defensive unit. Even though some people are not as impressed with their defensive units when you compare them to maybe Chelsea. But I think they're on par, if not better than Chelsea when it comes to defense and they're happy keeping 30% of the possession as long as they score a couple of goals in a game and win it. Uh, right, Declan, are you calm, calm down there? Obviously, they're not on par with Chelsea. They're they're definitely <laughs> good. So just want to make sure. Just want to just want to say that, De- Declan. I wanna I wanna ask you as a West Ham fan, are you happy with these performances? And do you think that playing this way sort of Mourinho, Conte, whoever you want to pick up as a defensive manager. Do you think that this wins leagues? I mean, in the Premier League, we've seen Chelsea do it time and again. And I think West Ham, the way they're going, if they maybe have a little more depth in their squad, I don't see a problem with them challenging for the title. Why aren't they in the title race, so so to say? Money? <laughs> Is it, it might be might be too simplistic to say just money, resources. Um 
that, you know, West Ham is a team that is built incredibly well and has been resilient on some great, uh, some great recruitment and then outstanding players to come through the youth academy. Like Ben Johnson, who started at right back in this game because Vladimir Sufal um, has been out injured, though Sufal came back in this game, which was good to see, has been outstanding. He hasn't put a foot wrong since since he's come through, and he's been involved in teams since about 2018, and David Moyes has shown a lot of belief in, in some of the young academy players. But I think, unlike a team like Chelsea, where they have the personnel, West Ham are a team that is structurally drilled incredibly well you have players like Thomas Suchek and Declan Rice in that low block pivot which I would put up against almost any any midfield pairing in the entire brim I think I think they're outstanding but then you look a little bit further back and you have an Aaron Cresswell who or even two seasons ago always was a little bit suspect and you saw that with uh, Mohamed Salah in the dying moments of the game when he was getting turned left and right and he was just a little bit unaware of of where he was but there's the calming presence of the center backs and even a player like Craig Dawson who John knows that I'm not a huge fan of Craig Dawson <laughs> in this system that David Moyes has working it's he's outstanding he does his role and structurally this team is the best drilled squad other than Pep's because Pep is a is a madman he's a, as we like to call on our show a football pervert <laughs> that you know David Moyes has this squad that listens to him and trusts him and the system that he was able to put in place I would argue that that the squad that he has now and what he's able to achieve is better than he will ever he was ever able to achieve at Everton and just a quick shout out to David Moyes, who was off in no man's land for so long after after the Manchester United appointment. Just to get back to where he was with Everton is outstanding. And I was one of those when he came back for the second time. Unsure of this appointment, but I have no doubts. What he's been able to do, what um, what he continues to do, the good feeling he builds in the team, his trusting of the youth development, his ability to control the owners, which is a whole other debate um, in the West Ham community, is outstanding. And just nothing I'd ever assume that this squad would have, let alone with a man named David Moyes. Who is more important to West? I, I don't think we've talked about on this show, but has been around for so long. Is it Jared Bowen or is it Antonio? It's Mikel Antonio. The offense runs through Mikel Antonio. <sighs> It's it's tough because Jared Bowen is the best analogy I can use is he's a lower league player. He's a player that has come up through the league system and you can tell because he's nasty. He's one of those players you don't want to come up against. But there is a clear difference between another striker and Mikel Antonio. Mikel Antonio isn't even really a striker. He's this weird hybrid that David Moyes has has morphed into a striker. I just think that the way that he traps balls, the way that he distributes, and the way that he makes runs, he's chaotic player. He's the most important player on the pitch for West Ham. Second most, obviously, to Declan Rice. I haven't watched West Ham enough to challenge you, but every time I watch West Ham, Jared Bowen just seems insane. The way he dribbles, the way he has that vision to make a pass at the end, or when his shooting boots are on, I just, I'm scared of that guy, and I would love to buy it, that guy. Somehow at Liverpool, because he is sort of that... Bernardo Silva of Man City, which you have at West Ham, but he's also really good in defending. He's well drilled and he doesn't think of 
himself as a Bruno Fernandes where you don't see him tracking back as often, which is what I love about him. The, as a West Ham fan, I'm sure you know better. So I will I will concede that I thought it was Jared Bowen, but I guess Mikel Antonio it is. Um, I think the comparison, that, I can just jump in here. I think the comparison between Bowen on the right and Ben Rama on the left is works really well for West Ham because Bowen is that player who will track all the way back and Ben Rama... He's not a luxury player by any means, and I, and I don't want to attach him with any of that. But he's that more skilled dribbler, a little bit less, a, a little bit less pace, but that offensive facilitator where Bowen is that workhorse who will get the ball up and down the pitch using his pace and his strength. And I think that West Ham really have a good strength across the whole front line. And we haven't even talked about Pablo Fornells, who for me was the player of the game in that Liverpool game, and a player who makes this West Ham squad tick. I just think that this is a, an incredibly built offense for West Ham that is better than the sum of their parts, and that's because they know what each other are doing and the way in which they're going to move and and the offensive uh, moves that they're able to create doesn't doesn't rely solely on one player. With Mikel Antonio being the focal point, we'll move forward to a couple of contentious moments in the game. Obviously, you mentioned the Salah dive. I would also call it a dive. There was no contact by Declan Rice on him, which led to a goal, a beautifully struck free kick by Trent Alexander-Arnold, and he keeps doing that time and time again. Aside from that obvious dive, and I don't know why VAR doesn't jump in there, but I want to talk about the Jordan Henderson not red card. I thought that was a straight red. I don't know what this inconsistency with VAR is, but I thought that was a straight red. It was tough. In the moment, I thought Cresswell was being sent off. And the slow down footage looks like he should have been. And that's that's the thing, right? Like some of these decisions are made on a slowed down view. So when commentators and pundits say when you slow it down, it always looks worse. The inconsistency comes in because some of these incidents, Pogba's incident uh, a couple weekends ago against Liverpool, similar incidents throughout the season have been given as red cards. When it's that high, when you're both when both of your feet are off the ground. I don't understand how that debate even exists. It should be one way of the line or the other. And but I think I think that Henderson. you have to take it take it in context because it's not like Cresswell dove in with both his feet off the ground. It's the wraparound foot was dangerous, a hundred percent. But his left his left foot hit the ball, and if it didn't hit the ball and bounce off the ball at a strange angle, it, he wouldn't have bounced up, and it, it would have been it would have been a tough tackle and deserving of a yellow card. I think when he bounces off the ball, it goes into red card territory. But I think that the main problem here was that no yellow was given. Because if I'm remembering correctly, the play wasn't even stopped up. Yeah, that's totally right. No yellow was given. So that's the inconsistency that I'm talking about. And it's so easy to, or at least seems really easy to rectify. Based on the precedents that have taken place in this season, this should have been a red card. Because at the end of the day... This is what's been happening this season. So when it doesn't happen, you feel hard done by. And that could have completely changed the dynamic of the game and maybe even the season going ahead because all these little games is where it really counts. I just don't understand how VAR is being put into place. I know that referees need their autonomy. I've been a referee before and I would have hated VAR to jump in at every single moment, even when I was doing the uh, the Ontarios and even intramural at that level. Sometimes you just need that autonomy so you feel like you're controlling the game because if you don't, then players will just jump on you, and that's just needed. So I agree with you that at least a yellow, but uh, in my opinion, definitely it should have been a red card based on what's happened this season and, and that alone. I'm going to comment on Liverpool and their 
struggles. They've only won two out of their last six Premier League games, and we're still obviously in the title fight. This game, I was just surprised by how little we created and how bad we were defensively when it came to set pieces. When we conceded the first goal, I thought we'd do something else whenever West Ham got a corner to defend better. But we didn't. We did the same exact thing with Virgil not really being able to attack the ball. I think we didn't change enough. And that's been a sort of a critique of Klopp for a while that he doesn't change too much in games because he likes the way he plays and he keeps to that formation and all of that stuff. But I think this should have been rectified within the game. And we also looked really, really bad going ahead. We, we were so predictable. We didn't try and attack them through the center, which is really hard with Rice and Suchek, but I think that could have been something that we could have tried. I think our substitutions weren't quick enough either. I think this was a perfect game for Thiago, but I know that he's just coming back for from injury, so we're reintroducing him slowly. All these co- things combined, I just I don't understand how we were this bad. We don't need we don't want to rely on Origi's great finishing for us to win games, and Salah deserves a break from carrying this team it's just it's just the same old story where we are trying to whip in balls uh, from the ends and with Trent and Robertson but Robertson was poor again and that is something also that needs to be fixed I think I think our backup left back Costa Shimikas should get starting minutes now he he was amazing midweek against Atletico But again, it's something that the manager is really proud of is loyalty. And he remains loyal to his players. And that's why Robertson in the team, plain and simple. He wouldn't have been in the team if it was a different manager based on performances. I think Robertson has been decent defensively, but his attacking prowess is not there this season. Whatever the reason may be, maybe he just needs a break and he needs to work harder in training or whatever that is. I think Costas deserves to start now. I know that we've talked quite a bit about Liverpool and we have John here, so obviously we have to talk about Manchester United. And that's where we're going we to, have to? Move, <laughs> we're gonna move on next. An abysmal performance against their city rivals. A derby performance that was laughed at by all sorts of people in pundits, fans, opposition pundits, opposition players. It was just, it, it was insane. They lost 2-0 to City. But 2-0 doesn't say enough about how bad they were. And the biggest, the biggest thing that I thought in this game that showed how bad it was, a Man City player, Bernardo Silva. He came out, uh, and Bernardo Silva and Ilka Gundogan, when they gave their press conferences, I think it was one of them that said, "Yeah, it was a, it was a decent game. You know, it was pretty fun." They used the word "fun" in a game. Yeah, we ran around. We could have scored four or five more, but you know, it was a pretty easy, fun game. And that's just, that's just sad, isn't it, John? Well, I mean, it is, but I'm not surprised. Like, uh, a couple weeks ago when I was on this podcast after we just got humiliated by Liverpool, I, for whatever reason, I didn't know that we were facing City in two weeks. When I found that out, I thought, okay, yeah, we're going to get absolutely battered. And although the scoreline doesn't say we got battered, just go look at the advanced stats of the match because it's it's hilarious. We lost almost every single category, no matter which way you slice it. In uh, in accurate passes, I'm I'm using a, a foot mob as well, uh, FOT mob. It's really good, a uh, really good soccer app. But expe- or expected goals, they beat us in every single category. Beat us in block shots, shots off the woodwork, shots inside the box, shots outside the box. 
beat us uh, for uh, accurate passes in every single category except we had four more throw-ins. Like, they just dominated Manchester United. But if, if you're talking to a United fan, I'm not sure if anybody would really be surprised because at the end of the day, it's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer going up against Pep Guardiola. We know who's a better manager. We know who has a better system in place. And especially because Ole has now been experimenting the past few weeks with, uh, with the squad formation ever since the Liverpool battering, they're just not settled yet. And although I, uh, on the uh, preview part, Declan uh, had the idea of bringing Ronaldo off the bench, I was hesitant to agree with him because I don't think you can look at Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest players of all time, uh, right before a match against Manchester City and say, yep, we're switching things up. You're not starting. I think that would mess a little bit too much with the squad dynamics. But moving forward, but I think that's the right move starting now. I think one of the best stats that perfectly encapsulates United right now was that in that game, they had more shots on their own goal than they did on the chip, which is just wonderful. <laughs> Declan, why did you think of this match? Um, I only caught the second half of it. But it looked like Manchester City. <laughs> That's what it looked like, if um, if that makes sense. It looked like United had no semblance of a plan, which isn't anything new. It looked like they didn't quite know what was going on, and they looked like passengers. And it was... Um, I'm trying to remember who who it was in the post-match commentary. I think it was... Um, I think it was Michael Owen. But I'm I'm not 100% sure. And he was... He was just like, it's rubbish. There's no plan. There's no plan at United, and there never has been a plan under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And it's all of this back and forth, and they just look like passengers, which is not something that um, I think we're used to saying about Manchester United. They're the team that dictates play. They're the team that dictates the way in which it's going to go. But that's just not the truth under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And as, as John was saying, I think that there's some serious change need, and players need to be stood up to. Because you can't play the five players that you have to play at Manchester United because it just doesn't work. There's no balance. Um, but it's it's tough. And I think that until some hard decisions are made, we're going to see a lot more results like this. I just have a question. Like, Can someone explain to me how Daniel Farke gets sacked after getting his first win of the season? But only <laughs> still around? Club I, never, that's how. <laughs> Like, what is this? There's, like, no logic. A few thoughts on this, actually, because I was watching Gary Neville's sad commentary after. I love, obviously, being a Liverpool fan. Whenever United lose, I put on his podcast and I listen to him. Just absolutely sad and distraught, and it's amazing. But aside from my vengeance that I seek from him, he said some interesting things where uh, since Sir Alex retired, right up from the CEO to the coaching staff. It's all people that are involved in football, have been around with Manchester United, but have no idea how to run a club. And that really shows when you look at Ole's option in midfield, who is it? It's McTominay, Fred, and Matic. There's no one else that he can call upon. Matic is about 40. He can't run. McFred together are just abysmal. And what I don't even blame Ole at this point because he ha- doesn't have the personnel to do anything else but attack. But now what he's done is put three defenders in to defend better. 
when he doesn't have the midfield prowess to do so. Ole really needs to figure out his strengths, and his strengths are really attack, so he should just go ahead and do that. In this game, I saw Bruno, the one-man press, United trying to defend a 2 disadvantage. Both of those things quite interesting after the second, uh, in the second half. They were trying to merely defend a 2-0 disadvantage, which is so sad to see because you are Manchester United. You should not be sitting back and trying not to concede four or five. You should give it a go. But it, they didn't do that at all. I was watching the game and the second half possession stats say it all. It was upwards of 75% City. That means that you didn't even try. Bruno really needs to either get with the manager or not start as well because I keep seeing him in games calling people forward when they're clearly set up to defend deep. He was a madman in the middle of the pitch going after the center backs in Stones and Diaz. Whenever Edison would have the ball, he would go ahead and press. And it seemed like he was the only one doing it. And it's just, I don't believe that that's something that he does based on the manager. I think he just looks at the game and within the game, he says, hey, listen, we got to do something and let's go and put the screws to City. You know, they finished sixth the season before last and they finished second. Uh, actually, I think it was sixth, third and second. And now it looks like it's going to be a scratch for top four. Do they really get top four with this manager, Declan? I think that there's some structural problems at Manchester United. You speak about how McTominay and Fred in that midfield have been overexposed, but ultimately those are two Premier League players. Like John and I have talked about this a lot where the midfield is the clear problem at United, but no one has a perfect squad. Sorry, Pep Guardiola has a perfect squad and Thomas Tuchel has, he has perfect. two perfect squads. But, and I know that Ole is not necessarily in charge of transfers, but it's not like he doesn't have the players to put up a fight if he just set his team up properly. He has set his team up in a 4-2-4, which does not work. Yes, he feels the pressure to play some players, but no manager is going to have a perfect squad. And as part of being a manager, you have to make tough decisions. And Ole seems like he's in a position where he can't make those tough decisions. So either he needs to to shit or get off the pot, ultimately, where he needs to decide that he's going to sit some of these attacking players where maybe you don't play Sancho, you don't play Greenwood because you have two, three strikers out there and you don't really have anyone protecting McTominay and Fred who are having to marshal like 50 or 60 yards by themselves and they're just not that player. And so either he needs to adjust his tactics to cover for them or he needs to bring on another more defensively minded midfielder. Here's the problem, though, with with this argument, because, yes, United have so many great attacking players that they they should set up in a more attacking formation. But when they did that early on the season, they had nobody to transition the ball from defense to to attack because of the lack of depth in the midfield. And now by saying, well, OK, maybe you have to rotate Sancho, maybe not play him as much. No, Sancho needs to be one of the first guys on the team sheet because he's one of the only creative wingers who actually creates goals instead of having three or four different strikers on the pitch all looking for goals for themselves. You need to have someone to create, to help Bruno Fernandes in in just the creative aspects of the attack. So Sancho needs to be starting every single game from, from here on out, even though he hasn't performed all that well. 
just from a a, a a scheme standpoint, he has to be on on the pitch. And as well, we have we I always forget him because Ollie just has a vendetta against him. Donny Van de Beek is still on the team. He could still be doing a job in the midfield. He's honestly he's better than Scott McTominay. But for some reason, probably because McTominay is homegrown at United, they want to give him as much time as possible and as much of a leash as possible. Even though he is one of the weakest links in the midfield, I'd argue more than Fred. Yes, yes, McSauce pops up with a headed goal every now and again, but he doesn't he doesn't transition the ball well in the midfield at all. He's just seemingly there because he was an academy piece. They had an opening in the squad, they put him in, and he did slightly below average. And they thought, oh, you know what, he's solid enough, we can stick him in there. But Donny van der Beek needs to get more game time. I've been, you know, everyone's been saying that, but probably he's going to be going for a cut price fee as soon as January opens up. And I don't blame him at all because United just has, has mismanaged the signing since they got him. And they need signings. Like looking uh, looking at the signings that they made during the offseason, bringing in Sancho, a winger, Varane, center back, Ronaldo striker, Tom Heaton, third choice keeper. They knew how poor the midfield was. It wasn't a secret at all. We've been saying we need a defensive midfielder for the past three years. Kind of ever since we brought in Nemanja Matic, we've been saying, why do we bring him in? We need someone who's younger, who has who has more, uh, who has younger legs on him, who can run at the pace that you need in the Premier League. This is the team who fans have been begging for uh, Ndidi for the past couple of seasons, and they haven't had any answers for it. So come January, we need to sign a defensive midfielder. And right now I'm on transfer markets. And the only rumor that they have listed on here is for, is for Maddie Kamara. And that's the only player we're apparently rumored with right now. Daver, we know that McFred aren't the players that are going to take United to a title. And when they solve this, they solve this. And maybe that leads to them being more of a title contender than, than today. But everything is flowing through you. Ronaldo at United should he in this game against Guardiola when you know you have to defend deep have started from the bench I know you guys talked about it Declan and John on your preview but Davra from an outside perspective you've watched a bit of Ronaldo I know we've talked about it should he have started on the bench I don't think so man I I don't think uh, or John mentioned this but you can't put a player of his caliber in a game of that caliber on the bench you can't you you just can't do that and he's also if anything like he's proven throughout all of united's woes that he's the player who's going to clutch things right at the end he's the kind of clutch player you need on the pitch it's just building that system around him is hard and it's not something that ole is up to i think their woes go much further than ronaldo himself and just having him there is like an advantage that you just don't want to lose. To be honest, I don't know how much worse United could have been without him. So I, I honestly think that maybe just reverting back to the formation and the squad we used last season, we might have actually done a better job. And I'm not, I, I agree, he's not the problem. Or he's he isn't the biggest problem in the squad because I do think that he brings some disadvantages, even though he does bring advantages to, uh, to United. But... I don't know how much worse of a performance United could have done. And I've been beating this drum for two two years now as someone who watches a lot of the City A. Ronaldo is a player who doesn't make teams better anymore. I think he's a player that you need to cover for his weaknesses. 
and that just doesn't work in the modern modern day game. This this year, and I've I've used this stat too many times because I think it illustrates my point perfectly. He's in the worst percentile of pressers in the entire Premier League. And given that United, especially last year, played a high octane pressing pressing style that that relied on the counter attack, you can't play with that that way with Cristiano Ronaldo. And Cristiano Ronaldo minimizes the effect that some of your best players in Pogba and um, that that Pogba and Bruno Fernandez had on the Manchester United squad last season. Bruno Fernandez looks like a shell of his former self. And the lack of work that Ronaldo does in terms of defensive ability, because I'm never going to I'm never going to knock Cristiano Ronaldo for his offensive capabilities. He's scored at a, at a pace of a goal a game this season, but he doesn't press. And in the modern day game, it's way more important what you do without the ball than you do with the ball. And so, yes, United might get a goal or two every single game from from Cristiano Ronaldo. But they're going to concede two or three goals because they don't have the midfield. But like that that's sort of, more, isn't that more of like the midfield problem? Like you do need that player up front who gets goals for you. You need that player. Like a goal a game is crazy, right? Like if you it, have it's that, it's crazy. But the but my point is that because Ronaldo doesn't defend, if if I can be as simple as that. You need the other players around him to – the other players around him are relied on much more, and you already have this deficiency in the midfield. But by playing a player like Cristiano Ronaldo and in the system that you're going to play – that Ole is playing Cristiano Ronaldo in, you're asking a lot of a midfield pairing that have to, as I said, marshal 50 or 60 yards. If you if you look at – especially at um, the Leicester game, which um, I thought was, was a clear example of this, where you have – where you have – uh, Scott McTominay and, and Fred trying to marshal the entire midfield and, and Ronaldo not pressing up front and then Greenwood not being defensively, defensively capable of making these curving runs to to block passes and cut passing lanes that they that Leicester were able to move very quickly through this Manchester United team and attack the back line with with ease. And again, the back line is not great. Like you have Manchester United are a team that have great players, but are not a great team. My point was exactly that. I think you can't have two passengers in the same team in Ronaldo and Fernandez. I think one of them needed to give needs to give way, and it has to be Ronaldo because Fernandez does way more than Ronaldo does in terms of his assists and his goals from midfield. But you can't have both of them in the same team. The same you cannot have all three of them in Pogba, Fernandez, and Ronaldo in the same team. And Pogba's already given way, and that's clear. It needs to be that Ronaldo either starts on the bench for, especially for games like Man City, where you know if you don't have 11 people behind the ball at most stages of the game, you're going to concede many, many goals. That's how good they are. And that's something that you just need to accept. And Ronaldo needs to accept that this wouldn't have worked. We can, we can talk about United and their woes, and I'm sure next weekend will be no different. Sorry, John. <laughs> but moving on to Antonio Conte at Tottenham. We haven't done a sacking and appointment show on Football Mastermind, but we're going to take next week to properly talk through who's gone from the Premier League and who's come in as manager. But let's talk about Conte's appointment at Tottenham and what that means. And the biggest question is, can he get top six? I'll throw this to John first. I think it's a bit of a big ask to say top six uh, immediately because 
I mean, it's it's Spurs. <laughs> um, it's definitely possible, like especially if United's falling apart as it seems. I'm sure they uh, they'll drop off, and maybe even I don't know, Arsenal may, could be could be dropping off as well. And Antonio Conte is a proven winner. Um, he he's still in his prime. It's not like when Spurs signed Mourinho from the scrap heap off of Man United. This guy just won the Serie A uh, with Inter Milan. And before that, he was great with Chelsea as well. So I think it's definitely uh, possible that they that, that they can get top six, maybe even pushing into top four if they really start clicking. Uh, last weekend's game wasn't the greatest example because they didn't generate as many chances as you would have hoped um, against the Everton squad that did not look all well put together um, coming into that matchup. But again, that's that's one game. They beat uh, Vitesse as well um, earlier on in the week. And I kind of want to look at Spurs a month from now. Once Conte settled in, once the, once the squad understands what uh, Conte wants from him, uh, wants from them, rather, um, before saying whether or not it's uh, they're definitely going to be getting top six, top four. But it's definitely possible. I watched a bit of this game and caught the extended highlights. And the one thing that struck me uh, really impressive about Tottenham was their defense. They limited chances to crosses in the box. They weren't opened up like they have been in the past few weeks under Nuno. And that was probably the biggest thing that I learned from this game is I think Conte came in and he's like, boys, we're going to learn how to defend and we're going to do it really well first. Then we're going to worry about scoring goals because you cannot win a game without defending well. Davri, do you get a chance to watch this game or have any thoughts about Antonio Conte and what he can do with the spare side? So I didn't watch the game, but I'm very, very confident in Antonio Conte. I know he's probably going to take some time to get settled in. He did the same thing at Chelsea where he had sort of a rough start. But as soon as he found his system, boom, like he just took off from there, right? I think he's going to see do the same thing at Tottenham. Like he has a good squad. I can see him taking the most out of Kane. He could lose some sort of like turn him into like a Diego Costa 0.0, you know, like he had. Um, I I'm really confident in him. He's he's top six. I think it could be a stretch, uh, but I I wouldn't be surprised if he manages to pull that off. And then I could see him really turning Tottenham into a lethal team next season. Because they have a decent midfield in Hoiberg and Skip and option on the bench in Ndombele and Loselso. They have two decent defenders in Romero and Dyer. But with the addition of Davies to the back line, I really would like to see Tottenham do really well in the next, say, four weeks. Because once they set, are settled in, into Conte's back three system, I think Mora, Kane, and Son have enough pace and smartness to score as many goals as they want i think they they could be the dark horse that's emerging with conte's appointment declan did you think that kane will have a different role now under conte because he's been that drop off striker for a while under the last two managers but do you think kane becomes like davar mentioned diego costa 2.0 where his main job is to hold the ball up and then score goals I think Kane's resurgence will be the most interesting thing to see from this uh, Antonio Conte regime. We saw what he was able to do with um, Romelu Lukaku, and I made this point on the review pod, that at this moment in time, Romelu Lukaku is the second best striker in world football, um, just behind Robert Lewandowski, who 
honestly doesn't get enough conversation <laughs> sent his way as to as to how good he is. I think what um, we'll see from Harry Kane is old Harry Kane, where Conte will set up a system around him. And you mentioned earlier on the pod that Antonio Conte is a defensive manager. I don't think that that's entirely true. I think he's a manager that wins. And I think he does that with any means possible because you look at his inter-team. His inter-team was not a defensive team, but you look at his Chelsea team and that team was was more defensive. He definitely has his own style, but it's a style that is highly adaptive and a style that at the end of all of it is just built to win. He's very much in that Juve model. And though he might be <laughs> though he might be a boy from Lecce, he he's very Juventine in that in that way. And I think that what we'll see from Harry Kane is is the best of Harry Kane. And I don't even think that that's up for discussion as, as much as it pains me to say. I think we got to wrap up soon now. This was an amazing show. Sorry for keeping it short to everyone listening out there. Um, this season has been interesting for football masterminds in that we've had a few changes with people coming in and out. And obviously, we're still finding our consistency. But thank you all for listening. Declan, where can people find you? Um, obviously you can find me on the long ball Premier League preview show. It comes out on either, um, Thursday or Friday. So make sure to find, uh, John and I here. We didn't get into as much, uh, as much banter as we usually do, but it's a good time. We play some games. We, um, we talk seriously about the Premier League and, um, yeah, but uh, other than that, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Debart14. I post a lot of my writing there and expect to see a lot of stuff soon. I have some deadlines coming up. Awesome. John, where can people find you? Yeah, as uh, Declan said, you can uh, find uh, find us over with the with the preview show prior to the weekend. Uh, normally posted, uh, as Declan said, Thursday Thursday Friday. Sorry, I just completely blanked it. <laughs> <laughs> Still early, okay. And people are, people can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at John Townsend ninety nine, and they can see my depressed Man United thoughts over there. <laughs> Another week of depressed Man United thoughts. Daver, where can people find you? As always, you can find me on Instagram <clears throat> at Football Masterminds or at Thowerizzi's One. Awesome. Thank you guys for coming on and making this show as great as it can possibly be. I would like to shout out the Mastermind site, obviously, because they have some great writing. I picked up a few conversation points from Reese's article on West Ham Liverpool. I, th- I think it's a great article. And, you know, we post all of our writings I don't write much. Actually, I don't write at all. But but I'm guessing Declan and Reese and the whole Mastermind Site community writes a lot. And if you're not into the podcast scene, you'd like to read about football matches, that's where you need to go and get all of your action. That's all we have time for today. Before I let you guys go, you can find us obviously on Football Masterminds on Instagram. It's at Football Masterminds, F-U-T-B-O-L Masterminds on Instagram. Follow us. Give us a like and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts because that really helps us push the content along to other and new users. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye.